good everyone welcome to bucks film room podcast on the brew hoop network this podcast launches every thursday and you can find it on spotify itunes etc wherever your favorite podcasts are because we know we're on that list Brewhoop also launches another podcast, which comes out on Mondays featuring Adam Paris, Riley Feldman, and Kyle Carr. So make sure to check them out. They're the OGs of this podcast, and they do really great work. They're a great trio. They have great chemistry, and they really know their stuff about basketball. So make sure to check them out as well. And my guess is if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know about that. But you can find that Brewhoop on just search any feed like Spotify, iTunes, anywhere like that. You can find me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room, and I also have a YouTube channel where you can subscribe and find all my videos. Just search in or type and search Bucks Film Room. You can find it all there. I also write articles for Brew Hoop, of course, and my latest, it's a video that I put into the article, but you can check the video out on Brew Hoop. Um, it's about Giannis's defense and his unique ability. He doesn't fit cleanly into any one sort of category. You know, he's positionless, and this applies to defense as well, where he can guard multiple positions. He's not a traditional lockdown defender like a Kawhi Leonard or anyone like that, so that really makes him hard to gauge. We all know he's a good defender, but I mean, he was left off. We all know he's a great defender, not just a good defender, but a great defender. But he was left off the all-defensive teams last year after making the second team all-defensive team in 2016-17. And so it's hard to quantify something like that. How good is Giannis? We, We all know that he's really good. But defensive metrics don't always do him justice. So I break down some of his versatility to this Bucks defense and how he plays free safety a lot for them. And I know you guys aren't going to want to hear this, but I also break down his major weaknesses on defense. I think he has two very pronounced weaknesses, one being his lateral quickness. He struggles to slide his feet and move laterally to stay in front of defenders. A lot of that he could make up with his extreme length and great athleticism, but his lateral quickness is definitely lacking. And then not like so much, I shouldn't say definitely lacking, he lacks lateral quickness. And then the second one is, his second major weakness is fighting over ball screens. He gets caught up a lot of times trying to go over ball screens and then that leaves the the help defender on an island, you know, in a one-on-two situation or a mismatch situation. So I really break that down. There's not many stats that prove that, obviously, but you can go on and check the video. I found quite a few uh little film edits or clips that really show that. All right, so let's jump right in. Uh, You know, by now, you guys already all know about the Eric Bledsoe contract extension, the Pogasaw signing, and this crappy back-to-back losses. And the first time all season that the Bucs lost back-to-back games, the first time all season Bucs lost to the same team twice, Yada, yada, yada. And I'm, I'm sure you'll continue to hear about that as well. So I'm just going to give my Cliff Notes version tonight and then we'll move on. And I really want to focus on this Bucks Pacers game on Thursday night. So Bledsoe signed a four-year, $70 million deal. I, I think it's a it was a good deal to begin with, and then it came out that the fourth and final year is only $3.9 million guaranteed. And so I think that just, it was an A+, plus, or maybe not an A+, plus, it was an A, very solid A deal. Uh, for John Horse in this Bucks front office, I think that 
You know, there are questions with Butzel being 29, how he'll age, but that's basically a three-year deal. Then they can get out or they can opt to pay him 19-some million dollars that final and fourth year. So great deal. Paul Gasol, fine signing. I mean, I think it's a depth move. I think it's, you know, it's a guy who can stretch the floor. He gets stuck a little bit in the mid-range, but it's a guy who can stretch the floor. Another big body. The Bucks kind of lack that. That second true seven-footer, I mean, they have a bunch of depth in that front court with Giannis, with Lopez, with DJ Wilson, Ersan Ilyasova, Nikola Mirotic, and we'll get to that kind of rotation here later. But I think that gives them another seven-footer to bang with big bodies in the post, like his brother Mark or uh, like Joel Embiid. So I think that's a nice little pickup there. Um, I think that he probably will not play very often, which might surprise some people because I think part of the reason why he wanted to leave San Antonio was so he could get more playing time he only got five minutes in the game against the Suns and I think I don't know if he'll even see that much outside of garbage time and there wasn't garbage time against the Suns so I don't know if he'll even see that much moving forward the Bucks just already have so many good options and he might be at the bottom of that list behind DJ Wilson too so I don't know how much we'll see of him moving on to the back-to-back losses not a big deal it's a long season things like this happen the Bucks have had very few bad losses I mean you can point to this one the Bulls one the other Suns one I mean I think you can count them on one hand which is very good nothing to overthink the Bucks they brought in some new pieces been dealing with some injuries it was a long road trip I mean you don't want to you do not want to make a habit out of this but it's a one-time occasion as of now don't worry about it and we'll figure it out and move on. One thing I want to say though is I know there's this huge rift with Chris Middleton. A lot of fans hate him. Some fans like him, think that he's fine, and we'll, he'll even get more divisive as he gets closer to signing that inevitable max contract with whoever it will be, and it might, it'll probably be the Milwaukee Bucks. But I think that just feels like, I'm not saying that this is a case. I know it's not the case, but it just feels like there are some fans that would rather see Middleton fail than the Bucks win. You know, they kind of get that pride. Middleton struggled in that game. And I just kind of get that feel that it's that's kind of always the talking point. And you can't make people happy, which, whatever, there's always somebody like that. But it's just important to know that as Chris Middleton goes, the Milwaukee Bucks go. As Chris Middleton goes the Milwaukee Bucks go. They will not be able to achieve their goals. They won't be able to achieve your goals for the Bucks this year without Chris Middleton. All right, so let's get on to this Bucks-Pacers game before then I go and answer your guys' questions on Twitter and on Brew Hoop on the site from the last podcast. So the Bucks play the Pacers on Thursday night in front of a national audience on TNT. So this will be a big game. The Bucks are in first place in the Eastern Conference and the Pacers are in third place and they're also so they're in third place in the Eastern Conference and then they're in second place in the Central Division. So as of right now the Bucks are 48 and 16 and I say right now this is Wednesday night at 8:46 p.m. Central Time in my mom's basement that I'm record I'm just kidding about the last part I'm not in my mom's basement. No offense to those of you out there but um, I'm in my own basement but so the Bucks are 48 and 16. I should probably focus on that. And the Pacers are 42 and 23. And Indiana is six and a half games behind the Bucks. 
So that is a pretty big game here. The Pacers and the Bucks, they had a really good game last time. They played just a couple of weeks ago. The Bucks were able to pull it out 106-97 at Indiana. And if you remember, the Bucks are down, they got down 10 with about nine, nine and a half-ish minutes uh, in the fourth quarter. And then they went to this jumbo lineup, which I'll get to in a second. So they had to make a nice comeback there. But the Pacers are good. Even without Victor Oladipo, they've proven to be a worthy opponent. And it's important that Milwaukee does not underestimate them. They play hard. They're a gritty type of team. You know, they'll make you work. They play like underdogs. They fight like underdogs. They know they're underdogs. They know nobody believes in them. They put that chip on their shoulder, and they really go to town. And they are they want this game badly. They play the Bucks and then the 76ers, and they want these two teams. They want to move up in the standings, even though the 76ers are behind them, but they want to catch the Bucks. They don't see that as an unrealistic goal, even at this point in the season. So they they'll be extremely motivated heading into Thursday night. And the Bucks gotta be ready because they're gonna take you know, the Pacers are gonna throw their A game or take give give Milwaukee their best shot. So the Bucks have to be ready. The thing to watch in this game is the defensive scheme that the Bucks run. I've talked a lot about defense already. This is the third episode of this Bucks Film Room podcast. And so by now, if you've listened, if you've been a listener or paid attention, or even just know from watching yourself, the Bucks run a drop coverage in their pick and roll defense. And they did that for three plus quarters in the last game against Indiana. And that's what ended up uh, part of the reason that they were down 10 in the fourth quarter. Uh, Milwaukee used a big fourth quarter. They outscored the Pacers 30-18 to in that fourth quarter the last time they met in order to complete the comeback and win 106-97, like I had said. And so the way that they were able to do this was by switching their defensive scheme, and they went to their jumbo lineup, which included Brooke Lopez, Ursan Ilyasova, and Giannis. And those are the three that you know they relied on and to get the job done and really – turn the tide against the Pacers what they did then was they implemented us they switched everything as a switching defense there from like nine and a half minutes on or whatever the time was they implemented a switching defense where it didn't matter like who it didn't matter who had the ball or what ball screens were being set they would just switch everything so that was really interesting to see and something that Budenholzer has proven especially as the season has gone on that he's not so afraid to do I think I talked last week about him running a different type of defense and that you know that was that was just a one or two game one or two game trend and they went back to their traditional defense after that so they've been running Bucks have been running their traditional drop man coverage and and we'll see how this game goes because they went to that switching defense against Indiana and I think that they I think they will start to do it with I think they'll start the game with their typical drop coverage and we'll see how that goes. Budenholzer, he wants the the Kings to get ironed out in that defense. He has not given up on it. Even against teams where they've struggled in the past, I think that he'll start out the game and he'll probably run at least the first two and a half, three quarters in that defense. Um, if they're winning, he'll continue to do it. If the Pacers are missing shots, he'll continue to run it. The only the only time I think that we'll see a switching defense on Thursday night is if the Bucks get down by double digits like they did in that in that last game and then he'll go he'll reveal the switching defense so we'll see how that goes I think another aspect to pay attention to is Nikola Mirtich's role in that as well uh 
will they play him alongside and do their jumbo jumbo lineup like they did against the Jazz where it was Giannis and Lopez and Ursan and Miritich and Middleton? Or will they substitute Miritich in for like Ursan and then go with Middleton and Brogdon or Middleton and Bledsoe? It, it's something to pay attention to because Miritich has been playing ahead of Ursan and rightfully so. Ursan has been hot trash lately and we'll talk with Right after this, we'll I'll answer some questions on Twitter and whatnot, and there's a lot of questions about Ursan and DJ Wilson, so I'll get to that. But it'll, so it'll be interesting to see how Miritich fits into that because Budenholzer also went to that jumbo lineup with Giannis, Lopez, Ursan, Miritich, and Middleton against the Suns as well um, in the first quarter, and 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 we'll, so we'll see how that goes moving forward if that's something that Budenholzer is going to continue to experiment with and this would be likely another game if the matchups are are correct so we'll see how all of that fits fits in there I think another thing to keep an eye on um, is Bogdanovich for the Pacers he's really turned it on here as of late the last time they played he didn't really have his best stuff but he still finished with 20 points and six rebounds and three assists and so he'll be another guy I think that Middleton or Bledsoe, probably Bledsoe will be on him and really try to take him out of the game. He's one of the Pacers' best players right now, and that'll be how you know that'll be how Boonholzer designs his whole defense going into the game on Thursday night, and who he'll look to shut down first and foremost. They also have Miles Turner, who can pick and pop. He tore Brook Lopez up a little bit um, in the last matchup. Like it, he didn't have a huge game. He only had 11 points, but he still. I think on one of the first possessions of the game, knocked down a three off a of pick and pop, and he has that ability to stretch the floor. He's the type of center who's given Lopez struggles in the past, and you know they just the Pacers just have a bunch of guys up and down their lineup who are gritty, who will make the Bucks work hard when they're on offense. So when the Bucks are on offense, they'll have to work hard, and so it'll be interesting to see how that game goes. I expect the Bucks to also be extra motivated. They're coming off back to back losses. They've talked a little bit about how they don't like this feeling of losing, and so I would predict that the Bucks will probably win this game by 11 points would be my guess. So we'll see how that all goes. Uh, keep an eye out on how the defensive scheme plays out and how that jumbo lineup plays out as well. All right, now let's turn to Twitter and the Brew Hoop message boards to answer your guys' questions. Every week, I want to answer your guys' questions because you guys are the listeners. So I think it's always helpful when you guys can at least dictate some of the pace uh, of this of how this podcast goes. You know, I want you, this to be your guys' podcast. So we're talking about or I'm talking about things that you guys want to listen to. So the first question comes from Stone Age on Brew Hoop message board. Uh, ask, when is this season regarded to be a success? At this point, I think the season is only a success if the Bucks make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's what I'm going to set the bar at is if they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, this season is a success. If they, I guess... So just to change that a little bit, if if they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and win two games, it's a success. I think if they get beat 4-1 or if they get swept in the Eastern Conference Finals, it really leaves that sour that sour taste in our mouths heading into the offseason. So that's what I'm going to put it at. Eastern Conference Finals, and they must win two games. Anything below that is a gr- severe disappointment. I mean, a second-round ex- a second round exit would be awful at this point. I think nobody would be happy with that. At the beginning of the season, yeah, 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 second round playoffs, everyone would be like, great, great, great. But now 
hell no. Hell no. Everyone wants the finals or bust, and so I'm going to put that bar as winning two games in the Eastern Conference Finals. Anything less than that is not a success. All right, so let's move to Twitter here. Um, let, let me just bring this up real quick. All right. Oh, Gary Wolfel is in my message boards at G E R Y W O E F U L. Says, I want to hear all the reasons Bud keeps Urson in the rotation ahead of DJ Wilson. That, yep, that was my answer. The, yeah, you guys are listening to that correctly. That that was my answer. That's all I got for you, all the reasons. But in all seriousness, I think it has to do with Ursan's, oh, hmm, his veteran leadership. Not leadership, just he, Ursan has shown the ability that he can get things done. He has a longer time frame of success that where he's demonstrated that he can have success in the NBA and DJ Wilson has two months worth of that you know I think that DJ Wilson every time he's gotten in the game he's proven that he should be in there ahead of Ursan but Budenholzer one has seen it from Ursan you know long enough Ursan does not have the defensive capacity that DJ Wilson does but he can knock down the three he can sticking with defense he can you know move his feet take the charges he's sound with his assignments even if he isn't good or great he's sound and so I think that's why and and Bucks fan I I think a lot of Bucks fans out there are saying hey we don't want to give Middleton the max we don't want to give him a max contract you know we want somebody else in there well if you want somebody else in there they might need to trade Ursan and sitting him on the bench the rest of this year isn't going to up his trade value. It's just going to plummet it. And that's also a fine balance. I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth here because then it's like, oh, well, who cares about his trade value if DJ Wilson can help get you farther in the playoffs? So it's kind of like a and or situation. I mean, I'm sure that he has his reasons. Budenholzer has been pretty much on the money with all of his rotations thus far. And so I, I keep that trust in him and we'll figure out, you know, I'm sure that he has a plan and we'll just have to figure out what that plan is as time goes on. Um, is Speaking of that question, I know there is a couple other people. John Doe um, is a pretty common name, at John Doles, D-O-E-L-Z, on Twitter also kind of asks a simple or a similar question. Um, so I want to answer that one twice. So let's move on to the next question, also from John Doe. says, Miritich's defense has been disappointing so far. Do you think it's more due to him still adjusting or because of a poor fit for him in the scheme? I don't think it's a poor fit for him in the scheme. I mean, the, the Bucks, the way the Bucks defense works, it's to maximize a maybe slower footed player in this, in this defense. And so I don't think it's that. I think that, I think he's been okay. Um, it just takes time. I, I mean, I don't know if he's been, I wouldn't categorize him as disappointing, I guess. I, I mean, I, I would have to go back and look specifically at the film, but there's nothing that has like jumped off the page at me. I mean, he hasn't been, I think I broke down that he's, he's pretty adequate or average at defense. He hasn't quite been that, but I think that, you know, I don't know if you should have high expectations of Mirtich on defense. It's more just, he'll kind of go along with things. He might pop up here and there, but we'll see. I mean, don't, don't have high hopes for him. I wouldn't say he's been disappointing. He is still adjusting. Not really an answer, but that's all that I got for you at this point. 
All right, the next question comes from Steven Anderson at S underscore Mick Anderson. Is George Hill really this important? I'm guessing that he means because George Hill has been out and the Bucks have kind of struggled since, and especially on defense since the All-Star break. But I will say this about George Hill. His offense has been shitty, but his defense has been pretty good. Uh, he's finished kind of like split almost 50-50 with Bledsoe, who finishes games. And he's another guy who's long, who's active on defense, who knows his role, and he really works hard on that end of the floor. And so I think that George Hill, he is also the only other true point guard that the Bucks can play in an NBA game besides Eric Bledsoe. I mean, sure, you got Malcolm Brogdon, but he's basically like an oversized small forward or undersized small forward. And so anytime you're asking him to handle the ball, that's just putting a little bit more on his plate. Yeah, Giannis, yeah, Chris Middleton can handle the ball, but that's just asking them to do that much more. And so George Hill can come in, he can run the offense, he can initiate it, take that extra pressure. And that, you know, it takes a lot of energy and effort you know a player exerts a lot of energy and effort constantly having to bring the ball up and initiate the offense I think that's one of the underrated aspects especially if the defense is applying a little extra pressure that is extra energy that a ball handler is having to exert and so George Hill he can take some of that off there he can make an impact on defense Um, so he can just do some of those little things and then it keeps everybody else in their rotation you know people aren't then having to step out of their comfort zone that they've had so much success in this season so George Hill is he really this important no I think it's partially just bad timing bad luck from the Bucks. it's a long season long road trip that kind of stuff but I think he definitely has a role to play with this team all right at oh man at Trey Tao rules at T-R-E-T-O-W-R-U-L-E-S is there an argument for Bledsoe shooting threes at this point 40% last month, but still only 31% on the year, and it drops in the fourth quarter. With the quality and quantity of shooters around him, 4.9 three-point attempts seems a bit high to me. You want Bledsoe to keep shooting threes. It keeps the defense honest. Even it, I think that a shot selection can definitely be better. Yes, I would agree with you, but I think that you want him to keep shooting threes. I was, I'm actually looking at doing an article on this, and so... I just happen to have this kind of stat up the top of my head. I don't remember exactly what all the details are, so I won't try to guess numbers. But one thing that I'll say is that his catch-and-shoot numbers and his pull-up three numbers have kind of reversed this year. So typically he's been a pretty good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter and not such a good pull-up three-point shooter. But this year it's the opposite, where he's actually hitting his pull-up three-point shots uh I said I wasn't going to do this but I'm pretty sure it's at like 35 percent and then and in reverse his catch and shoots are only like 28 percent so I think that's something that is very interesting um and something that you know the Bucks need him to take those shots they need him to be smart with those shots but they need him to take you can't run a 5-0 offense with your point guard not taking threes so I think that's something that is really important and here I have the numbers so yeah pull up threes he's shooting 35.3 percent this year and he is shooting 28.8 percent from catch and shoot threes this year so just I'll randomly pull up his numbers from 2015-16 that's the year that he shot 37 percent from downtown so that year he shot 34 percent on his catch and shoot and 42.6% on his pull up three. So I guess I was wrong on that aspect. So, but that's something that I'm going to dive into a little bit more and 
I think that it's worth you know, trying to figure out because he is slumping this year from downtown. He's not shooting the ball very well at all. And his three-point percentage is at 31%, which is the lowest since his second year of his NBA career. And he really needs to kind of figure that out so that way he can get going and help take the Bucks to that next level. All right, the last question comes from Gary. I'm just going to say it's Panisi at doctor's house of says when will we see gasol and then later somebody says that we already have and then he says oh i couldn't watch the sun games sun's game but see that he played maybe the question is should the bucks have left well enough alone i don't think there's anything wrong bringing gasol in he's not he's not a guy that's going to disrupt their locker room he's not a guy that's going to disrupt the camaraderie or whatever relationships rapport that they have he'll fit in he'll be a good leader he has that championship experience you know with the lakers and going deep in the playoffs multiple years and so i think that that that's not like they're not like risking bringing in a guy who doesn't get along with other people or a guy who has a bad rep or anything like that it's not like they brought somebody like that into their locker room so i think that you know this is just a culmination of a lot of things and bad timing being one of them injuries being another and so I think that it was fine to bring Gasol in I don't think he'll see the floor he had five minutes against the Suns that might be it like moving forward that might even be more than normal but I think that that is fine well leaving well enough alone I think they're done tinkering at this point and so they're good to go and we'll see how they move forward All right. Well, that's all that I have for you guys. Thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure to like, follow, subscribe, Bucks Film Room Podcast, wherever you're listening, whether it be Spotify, whether it be iTunes, you know, wherever. Also, make sure to check out the other three guys, um, Adam, Riley, and Kyle on Mondays. Their podcast comes up then, and so make sure to check them out. And make sure to give me a follow on Twitter, at Bucks Film Room. Follow the YouTube channel. channel. Just search Bucks Film Room. Film Room? Wow. Great way to end this podcast, so I'll catch you guys next time.